So today is the uh, last in our series of uh, sermons on the life of Moses, been following his life, uh, thinking about um, his mission. And today we come to the end of Moses' life, and uh, that marks the coming to the end of this sermon series, also in the Church of England, Canada, coming to the end of this uh, liturgical year. And so next week we start uh, a new year as we uh, think of the approach up into Christmas with Advent. I'm going to read uh, from Deuteronomy. It's Deuteronomy chapter 34. I'm going to start at verse 1. Then Moses climbed Mount Nebo from the plains of Moab to the top of Pisgah across from Jericho. There the Lord showed him the whole land, from Gilead to Dan, all of Naphtali, the territory of Ephraim and Manasseh, all the land of Judah as far as the western sea, the Negev and the whole region from the valley of Jericho, the city of Palms as far as Zoah. Then the Lord said to him, This is the land I promised on oath to Abraham, Isaac and Jacob. When I said I will give it to your descendants, I have let you see it with your own eyes, but you will not cross over into it. And Moses, the servant of the Lord, died there in Moab, as the Lord had said. He buried him in Moab, in the valley opposite Beth Peor. But to this day, no one knows where his grave is. Moses was 120 years old when he died. Yet his eyes were not weak, nor his strength gone. The Israelites grieved for Moses in the plains of Moab 30 days, until the time of weeping and mourning was over. Now Joshua, son of Nun, was filled with the spirit of wisdom because Moses had laid his hands on him. So the Israelites listened to him and did what the Lord had commanded Moses. Since then, no prophet has risen in Israel like Moses, whom the Lord knew face to face, who did all those miraculous signs and wonders the Lord sent him to do in Egypt to Pharaoh and to all his officials and to his whole land. For no one has ever shown the mighty power or performed the awesome deeds that Moses did in the sight of all Israel. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. So the Lord has promised this land to Israel for generations. It's been 400 years since the Lord first appeared to Abraham, uh, recorded in Genesis 15. A wandering nomad, a man who nobody really knows or cares about. And the Lord appears to him and says, I will make of you a great nation, and I will give you a, a land to live in. It will be a promised land for you and for your descendants. And God reiterates that promise to Abraham's son, to Isaac, and to his son, Jacob. And it's a promise that they they hold on to. That one day they will be a great people in number, and they'll have a land to live and dwell in in safety. And the land represents everything that is important to a people. It represents safety a place where they can live in peace, 
It represents uh, prosperity, a place where they can uh, farm crops and uh, let their herds wander and give them good water and give them good land and see them uh, prosper. It represents uh, freedom, a land where they can live according to the laws of God, where they can live according to their faith uh, in peace. It represents freedom. They can be free to worship God's people uh, as he commands them, and he can be free to meet with them and instruct them as he pleases. And it represents rest. They're a wandering people, and finally they can come home. Finally they can rest. Finally they can find sanctuary. And for 400 years they've held on to this promise. And for 400 years, they've waited for this moment when they will cross into the land, when they will literally cross uh, the River Jordan and enter into their promised land. And in years of slavery and in years of misery and in years under Egyptian domination, they've, they've held on to that promise. And then God has raised up a prophet, and he's called Moses. And God has spoken to him and said, this is what you must do. You must lead my people to freedom. And we've, over the last few weeks, followed this story of Moses' life. And we've been on the journey uh, with him. We've shared uh, the adventure. And now finally, finally, they're going to enter into the promised land. And Moses goes up onto a mountain and he looks down. And he can see the river Jordan before him uh, that the people must cross. And he can see the land of security, the land of freedom, the land of prosperity, the land of rest. And he's not going to enter into it. He's not going to take his people across. He's going to see it, but he's not going to be the one who will take them over. And we read those hard words where the Lord says, you will not take my people into the land. And then Moses dies. What's going on here? Why is this worked out in this way? Why does Moses lead them to the land, but not take them into the land? Why can he see it, but not enter into it? There's a short answer, and there's a long answer. The short answer is found in Numbers chapter 20. A couple of weeks ago, I preached from Exodus 17, and we, we told the story of uh, the water from the rock. I hope you remember it. Uh, the children of Israel are in the desert. They're thirsty. They're dying of thirst. Uh, they're grumbling. And uh, Moses cries out to the Lord for his people. And the Lord says, go to this rock, take your staff, Uh, strike the rock and water will pour forth. And Moses is obedient to that. He hits the rock with his staff. That's what I called uh, an anticipatory uh, provision. God anticipates the need and has uh, provided for it and water pours forth and the people uh, can drink. They can uh, water their herds. Numbers chapter 20, we read of a similar thing happening again. Again, they're without water. Again, uh, the people are grumbling. Uh, And again, God speaks to Moses. This time he says, I want you to go to a rock. 
and I want to speak to that rock in my name. And that rock will pour forth water that the people might know that I'll provide for them, that I'll provide water for them when they're thirsty. And in Numbers chapter 20, you read that uh, Moses goes forth, and again he takes up his his staff, and this time he strikes the rock, and he strikes it twice, and water does uh, pour forth. But God says to him, I didn't ask you to strike the rock. I asked you to speak to the rock. And I asked you to do this that people might believe that I have water for them. Because you've been disobedient, you will not enter into the land. That's a short answer. But there's a longer answer too. And it's connected to the short answer. And let me tell you this with a story, and it's a silly story, but sometimes the silly stories are the best stories. There's a wildlife warden in the United States, and he's doing what he always does. He's touring one of the national parks, checking that everything is okay. And as he's touring around, getting to the end of the day, he notices some smoke um, in the woods. And so he goes to investigate the smoke, see what is happening. And then he finds a hiker uh, sat around a, a campfire, and he's, he's cooking uh, a really lovely smelling bird. And uh, the, the warden says to the, the hiker, oh, what are you doing? What are you, what are you cooking? And the hiker says, oh, I'm, I'm, I'm cooking seagull. And the warden says, you can't cook seagulls. They're a protected species. You're, you're not allowed to eat seagulls. I'm going to have to give you a fine. And the, the hiker says, oh, don't, don't find me, don't find me, I've, I've been lost, I've been wandering, I was hungry, I didn't have anything to eat, I managed to catch this seagull, it was all that I could have, I've plucked it, I'm, you know, I'm eating it, come on. And the warden says, okay, extenuating circumstances, I, I will let you off. And he, he goes to head back up the trail, and then he stops, he pauses, and goes back, he says, just out, just out of interest... What does seagull taste like? And the man says, well, it's somewhere between a long-eared owl and a bald eagle. (laughs) There were some great high points in Moses' life, and we've shared those over these last few weeks. But there were some low points too. There were times when Moses uh, fell short. In his anger, he kills an Egyptian. And in his shame, he runs away and hides. He tries to cover up his crime. The Lord meets him and instructs him to go and uh, see Pharaoh that his people might be delivered. And Moses argues again and again with the Lord, don't send me, send somebody else. I can't speak, I can't do it. And each time God says, well, I'll come with you, and Aaron will come with you, and I'll give you the worst of saying. Each time Moses says, oh, I can't do it, I can't do it. Time and again, Moses does great things for God. And time and again, Moses falls short of what God wants. He is a great leader. He's a great shepherd. He is a lawgiver. He's a prophet. In fact, at the end of that passage in Deuteronomy, we read that there was no other prophet uh, like Moses in Israel. 
Moses is a forerunner of Jesus. His life brings color, flavor, texture to our understanding of who Jesus is. There's so many similarities between uh, Moses and Jesus. They're both threatened at birth. Moses by Pharaoh, Jesus by Herod. They both spend some time in exile. They're both outsiders. Moses says, I've been a sojourner in a foreign land. Jesus said, the Son of Man has nowhere to lay his head. Moses gave his people the law of God. Jesus said, I give you a new commandment. Love one another and love your neighbor as yourself. There are loads of similarities. But there are some differences too, and there are some uh, crucial differences. Moses encountered a God who saves, and Jesus is the Savior. Moses discovered the need of a lamb uh, to be sacrificed to take away uh, the people's sins. And Jesus is the lamb who takes away the sin of the world. Moses led his people to receive manna in the desert, bread in the wild place. Jesus said, I am the bread of life. Moses was led to a rock from which water poured forth. And Jesus said, is anyone thirsty? Come to me and drink. The Saviour will save his people. Not, not Moses. Only Jesus can take us across the river into the promised land. Only Jesus can bridge the gap between heaven and earth. Only Jesus can take away the sins of the world through his death and atoning sacrifice. Only Jesus can show that the sacrifice has been accepted through rising from the dead. Moses great though he was, fell short. He's not the mediator, but he points to the mediator. He's not the saviour, but he points to the saviour. Another story, this time a true story. Richard Manning was born in 1932 in Brooklyn, New York. He grew up in a tough family in a tough neighbourhood. He lived by his wits and by his fists. As a young man, he joined uh, the Marines, the American Marines, and he soon found himself in Korea, fighting what we now know as the Korean War. One of um, Richard's friends from childhood, a man called uh, Ray Brennan, joined up with him. They uh, joined up together, They were posted to the same uh, unit. Uh, They served together. One cold evening, um, in the snow, they're in a foxhole together. And they're sharing a chocolate bar. And they're reminiscing about those days uh, back in Brooklyn, when they would chase girls together, when they would get into fights together, when they'd do all the things that young men do. Suddenly, out of nowhere a grenade flies over the top and lands in the middle of the foxhole. Ray looks at Manning, smiles, and then throws himself on the grenade. 
grenade explodes, uh, he's killed. Uh, but Richard Manning, uh, he survives. Serves out his time uh, in the war, comes back home later, uh, comes out of the Marines. That experience had a profound effect upon him. Um, he's from a Catholic background. He rediscovers his faith and he becomes a priest. And the tradition in the Catholic Church is that ordination, at ordination, when you become a priest, you're encouraged to take on a new name. And you'll take on the name of a saint. You'll take on the name of somebody who's a, a hero to you, somebody who's an example to you, somebody who's shown you what godliness is like. And so Richard thinks, he thinks, I, I can think of no one who's done a better job than that, than my friend Ray Brennan. And so he takes on the name of his friend. He takes his surname as his first name. And he becomes Brennan Manning. He writes a book about his life and his experiences, and it's called uh, The Ragamuffin Gospel. It becomes a bestseller. And in that book, he tells another story too. He tells a story of something that happens uh, years later. He goes to visit Ray's mum. Obviously, they knew each other. They live near each other. And he goes to see him, and he's sat in her kitchen. And they're sharing a mug of tea together. And as they're they're chatting away, he turns to Ray's mum. He says, do you know, do do you think Ray really loved me? And Ray's mum is furious. She's absolutely furious. And she stands up. And she slams down the mug on the table. And she shouts at him, Jesus Christ, what more could he have done for you? And Brennan says, in that moment, I was at the cross. And in that moment, I was standing before the cross on which Christ was crucified. And on that moment, I heard the voice of Mary, the mother of Jesus. And she said to me, Jesus Christ. Jesus the King. Jesus Christ. What more could he do for you? Do you sometimes doubt that God loves you? Do you sometimes fall short? Are you sometimes like Moses, you're a, you're a coward and you run away. Or you lose your temper. Or you're a bully. Or you blow it and you think you've blown it forever. And you think, does God, does God really love me? Then hear these words. What more could he have done for you? We'll share communion in a moment. And communion speaks of God's love. Because we take uh, broken bread and we take wine outpoured. And they speak of Jesus' body being broken and his blood being shed. They speak of God's love for us. Moses did all that he could do, but his role was not to take people into heaven but to point the way to a saviour who would bridge the gap, cross the river, 
open the door to freedom and prosperity, not in the sense of money, but in the sense of uh, well-being, wholeness, safety, sanctuary, rest, peace. Do you get doubt God's love for you? Receive communion this morning. Remember, what more could he have done? And finally, just a little postscript, just a little footnote to the story of the life of Moses. You turn back to uh, Deuteronomy 34. The Lord says this, says to Moses, I've let you see it with your eyes, but you will not cross over into it. And Moses, the servant of the Lord, died there in Moab, as the Lord had said. He buried him in Moab, in the valley opposite Beth Peor. To this day, no one knows where his grave is. Who's the he who buries Moses? Who's the he? Is it Joshua? Is it one of Moses' family or friends? Is it another Israelite? Nobody knows where he is buried. Nobody knows the place where he lays. The he is the one who's speaking to Moses. And who is the one who's speaking to Moses? It's the Lord. It's the Lord who's with him when he dies and who buries him and takes him into a better land, a better promise, a better home, a better safety, a better place to rest forever. Let's bow our heads in prayer. And so, Father, as we close this uh, series on Moses, we thank you for him. We thank you for his life and the story of his life written down for us. And we thank you for all that we've learned through his example. We thank you for the way that he has shown us uh, Jesus, the greater prophet. And we thank you for the gift of the Lord Jesus and all uh, that he has done for us. And we pray that as we receive uh, communion this, this day together, you would speak afresh of your love for us. And that as we receive you, we would also uh, receive the call to live lives worthy of you. That we too might point to a saviour. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. We stand and sing again. This time we'll sing this, I believe, the song we uh, learnt earlier. <laughs>